You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My guest today is the number one New York Times bestselling author behind the Gray Man book series, and he also co-authored Tom Clancy's last three Jack Ryan novels, and he continued the Jack Ryan character and Tom Clancy universe following Tom Clancy's passing in 2013. Mark Greeny, welcome to Can You Survive This Podcast. Hey there, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm really hyped to have you on. I feels like really inspired by your story. I know a little bit about it, but not everything about it. But basically what I know is that you were like a big Tom Clancy fan and then ended up um, co-collaborating with him on some of his books. So yeah. I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about like how you became a published author and what were you doing before that? And how did you come to work with Tom Clancy? Yeah, so my the 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 short version um, is that I got interested in the first thriller I ever bought in my life was Patriot Games, which was Tom's, I guess, third book. And uh, I got it in 87. I was 19 years old at the time and changed my life. I just, after that, I just started reading everybody that was big, uh, Nelson DeMille and Frederick Forsyth and Le Carre and obviously all the Clancy and Ludlum. And I just, just worship the genre. I mean, I, I literally say I spent my entire twenties, um, like being a bartender and then going home and reading like six books at a time for, for a decade. But I got this idea that I wanted to try and write a book when I was 22. And I spent 15 years piddling on it. And in that time I worked in computer hardware business. And then I got a job, uh, in international sales and marketing for a medical device company. And, um, but I kept plugging away at my book and I finished it in, in 15 years. I started in 90 and finished it in 05. And then I wrote my next book. I, I didn't even give it to an agent or anybody. Um, uh, I wrote my next book in seven months and I got that in front of an agent and they said, no, but you're a good writer. Try something else. And I tried two more books. And, the, and so the fourth finished novel was the gray man, which ended up being my first published novel. So that came out in 2009. So it, from 1990 to 2009, I was trying to become an author. So even though I feel like I've had kind of a long career compared to some people, I, I still feel like I've been an unsuccessful author longer than I've been a successful author. But yeah, I just, I had two books out and the third was on its way out. And I got a call from my editor, who was also Tom Clancy's editor, although we'd never talked about it. I just knew that. And he said, um, would you be interested in working on a, a book with Tom Clancy? And I remember just being like, 
incredibly intimidated by the by the prospect of that. But I also knew I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> that was such an opportunity. So yeah, in 2011, we did a book called Locked On Together, and we did two more books. And he passed away right as we finished uh, Command Authority, which was the third book. And really quickly, his family asked me if I would continue uh, the Jack Ryan series. So I wrote four more before I finally stepped away and wrote my own gray man books, uh, along the way. So it was a pretty busy time. That's amazing. And were you, uh, I know Tom Clancy was living in Baltimore. Were you going up to Baltimore and working with him like yeah. uh, up there? Yeah, no, I mean, I sort of had to go up there and meet him and kind of get the okay. So I spent, uh, it was supposed to be like a 45 minute, uh, <laughs> meeting and I was there for five hours or something like that, uh, meeting in person. And then after that, it was mostly email, but, um, yeah, he, it, it was, you know, th his people had kind of warned me that he could be kind of gruff and they didn't know how he was going to take to me and all that other stuff. So I kind of went in there like, Oh my God, this is going to suck so bad. And it was actually really great. We had lunch and I hung out with him and his wife and we had, we had a great day. That's amazing. I, uh, I'm a Baltimore guy myself. I grew up in a okay. suburb of uh, Washington, DC and I, yeah. I worked on house of cards, which was shot in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I heard a rumor that he wanted to put a shooting, uh, range in his place in the Ritz over there. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the Ritz Carlton up at the top. Yeah. And, um, and, and I heard the same thing and, and they were, for some reason they didn't, <laughs> they didn't allow that. You'd think maybe they could make an exception for Tom Clancy, but I'm, I'm sure I mean, he had his uh, apartment was palatial. Um, there was room for a shooting range. Yeah, I heard it was like a, like four apartments put together or something. I believe it. Yeah, it was massive. Just the, the Baltimore rumors that go around. You're right. Uh, I'm curious because you write so much like espionage and military stuff. Do you have any military background or what kind of training do you do like for research for your books? So no military background at all. Um, I, once I got out of college, I tried to get into the Air Force, into OCS and didn't get in. Uh, my excuse, I guess, I mean, I had pretty good college grades. I spoke German, some Spanish, but I, um, and I had a degree in international relations and political science, but at the same time, this was about 94. So it was, uh, early Clinton years and the, the big military drawdown because, you know, the Soviet Union was gone. We didn't need a military anymore. So it was just a tough time to get in. And uh, I kind of gave up after the Air Force said no. I mean, it, it, in retrospect, I wish I'd gone to the Army or the Marines and um, and tried there, but I didn't. Uh, so, but I, I read this stuff. I mean, I, I read a lot of it. And I was always fascinated with that. I had a subscription to like U.S. News and The Economist and all that when I was like 15 years old, like that's just kind of the world that has interested me, international affairs. So I once I started writing, um, I started training with firearms and just because I felt like I needed to be authentic about it. I mean, I, my I, my mom had taught me how to shoot when I was younger, but I just didn't shoot that much. And so, you know, I got a carbine and uh, got some pistols and started going to firearm schools. And then it got a little bit more deeper into it and a little more sophisticated in the shooting I was doing. And um, the classes I was taking took some battlefield medicine classes and some close quarter stuff and uh, got to do opposition force on for some SWAT team training several times. And that was actually really cool. So, you know, over, over the years I've learned as I've learned enough to be able to talk about it. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like, I'm, if you go to the range with me, I'm not going to like blow you away if you're, if you're a good shooter, but, um, you know, I, I, I do what I can. I I've got a bunch of the guns that I 
that I use in my books. I probably have 15 of the weapons that end up in my books. Oh, cool. Um, so you got published, was it 2009 that you first Correct. got published? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like so excited because the publisher actually sent me a whole box of books and there's like 12 or 13 books here. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I'm like massively inspired by, you seem to write like at least one or more books per year since you got published, yeah. um, which is like really inspiring to me. I'm curious, can you tell me like, what is your writing process like? Do you have like a morning routine or how do you, what is your process like in getting so many books completed? So it's, it's changed. I got married three years ago and now I have three stepkids and I have four dogs. So the, the, the old answer to that question for the longest time was I roll out of bed at five in the morning. And I, even when I had a, a day job um, and I go to Starbucks and put on headphones and listen to the sound of rain and just write intensely for two hours. And then once I was doing this full time, I would write intensely for <laughs> a lot more than that. I don't go to Starbucks anymore just because enough people know me in Memphis, which is where I live. So when I go to Starbucks, um, it's not like people are just, you know, coming up because they're huge fans. It's they're coming up because they want me to write a book about their uncle or, or something like that. So it kind of it makes it a little hard for that to be my workspace. Um, so now I, I start writing in the morning as quickly as I possibly can. Um, sometimes today it was probably 830 in the morning. I'm editing a book right now because I had to take kids to school and um, give my dog some medicine and all those all these other things that come up. But then I try and just work in one stint as long as I possibly can. So that usually gets me to like noon or something. And that's the writing I do for the day. The rest of what I do is publicity or the business side of things. And, um, you know, I have a little gym here at my house. So I'll work out in the afternoons. And if I'm on deadline, which I recently was, then I'll, I'll come back in here and work at night, uh, either after dinner or before dinner or before and after di dinner, depending on how how far I am behind. Um, I did two books last year. And when I say last year, it went into like the end of January. So <laughs> in 13 months, I did two books. And so I was running really late. And, uh, you know, I was back here in, in my office just all day and all night, um, like a kidnapped victim trying to finish my book. That's amazing. How many, if you wake up and you start writing right away, like, do you have a goal for how many pages you'll get done or how much can you usually knock out? And like, if you work from morning till noon, like how many pages is that? Yeah. So I think in words, but it's about 250 words a page. It's really close to that always. So, um, 2000 words is a good day and that's eight pages. Um, and like last year I, I wrote 300 and 20,000 words, um, that published words. Um, I've this, this book, the chaos agent, my new one is my 24th published novel and my 25th will come out in June. It's part of another series. So I, I, I do write a lot of words. Um, I tell myself if I hit 2000, then it's a good day. But what always invariably happens is, and I have like a spreadsheet of how many words I need to write to get it done by the due date. Um, what invariably happens is early in the, in, as I'm writing the book, I'm writing 400, 600, 300 words a day. And then late in the period, I'm, I'm cranking out 4,000 because I'm out of desperation. And so once you go back and get to edit the book, then you can sort of clean up everything that you kind of rushed through along the way. Uh, that's my idea anyway. How many drafts does it typically take you to, until you feel like you're complete? Well, what I turn into my editor as the finished book 
is really the first draft. And now I will have looked at the the early parts of the book. I will probably have gone back over them 50 times um, just as I'm writing the book. But I'm always so close to the deadline or so past the deadline that when I write the end or when I literally get to the last word, I send it in right to my editor. And then it's like, I'll just clean up everything later. And so he'll send it back to me with, with um, his thoughts. I'll do a second draft in less than a week. And then it'll go to the copy editor and then it'll come back to me and I'll do another draft in less than a week. And then it goes to a proofreader and then it comes back to me and I'll do another draft. So is that four? Uh, four full drafts and and still invariably there'll be something wrong in the book <laughs> after all these eyes looking at it and all these times looking at it you know you I always say you know I write a hundred and seventy thousand word book there's going to be four or five words I'd really love to have back and get a do-over on but it, it's just part of the process yeah um and did you take like any like dialogue writing classes or writing classes or do you think like you seem to be really good at writing interesting books and writing a lot of interesting books. Thanks. And I'm curious, like, um, is that like from reading a lot or is it, are you just naturally brimming with creativity or did you take classes or where do you think some of that skill, how do you, how do you hone in on some of that skill? Well, there's a few things and, and really I didn't, I didn't take any uh, writing classes whatsoever. I took a five day writer's workshop, like right before I got my first book deal um, you know, I was in my forties or early forties at the time. And that was the only writing. In fact, I wasn't even good in English in high school, just because I didn't think I was ever really going to need to know how to like, you know, diagram a sentence or anything like that. And I, I say that not to say you don't need to be English, good at English. I, I say it because every single day I, I wish I had paid attention in eighth grade when, when you're getting all that stuff, because, uh, you know, I, I really need it a lot, not just in how I write, but, you know, like communicating with other writers and stuff. Um, I, I had something that I, I now know what it's called. Uh, but when it was, when I was young, it, the term is maladapt, maladaptive daydreaming. So I was like a crazy daydreamer to where, you know, I wasn't good in school and I wasn't paying attention to other people, but I was always sort of creating scenarios in my head. And a lot of them were kind of like thriller related, I guess, in retrospect. So I think that kind of helped me. And then once I started reading in this genre, as I said, that's all I did. I probably read 500 books in my 20s um, from from Patriot Games, you know, right when I was 19 until, you know, I was probably in my early 30s. And uh, And I think a little bit by osmosis, I learned something about the craft. Sometimes when I'm writing, I, I it it occurs to me that it doesn't really sound like me talking, but it sounds like what should, you know, it, it sounds right for the book. And I think, well, where is that coming from? How am I able to sort of channel this that isn't me? Um, and I think it's just coming from like taking in so much information uh, about books all over the years. Yeah, amazing. And so the new book is The Chaos Agent. And that is part of the Gray Man series, correct? That's correct. Number 13 in the series. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but I, I have an online advanced copy that I'm really excited to check out. Right. And it's about, how much can you tell us about it? Because I know it comes out in like a, a week or two, right? February 20th, I think it comes out. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm excited about it because it's kind of like AI related. Yeah. Um, so what, what can you tell us about the new book? I, I think it's like 
perfect for the timing of where yeah. we're at and everyone is either seeming to be like extremely freaked out or extremely excited about AI. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally not really scared of it, but maybe I should be, I don't know. Um, but what, what can you tell us about like AI and the chaos agent? What can you tell us about the book? Yeah. So the, the protagonist of my series who's all of them is the gray man, this guy named court gentry, who's a former CIA paramilitary. And in this book, he finds himself, being targeted by this mysterious foe or force that is also at the same time um, targeting all the, the leaders in the realm of AI and robotics all over the world. So there's all these assassinations going on all over the world and Court, who is laying low in Guatemala trying to hide out from things that have happened in previous books, um, finds himself targeted by the same force. So he and uh, a former... Russian um, intelligence agent named Zoya Zakharova have to kind of like go on this globe-trotting adventure to uncover this mystery because there is a uh, on the horizon there is a new weapon, an artificial intelligence weapon that is is going to be fielded that's going to completely revolutionize warfare. Uh, the the villain who has control of this will be able to fight wars at machine speed and uh, just sort of create a tactical and operational overmatch for the United States. So it's a, it's a big, you know, espionage novel with spies and killer robots and a ticking clock and all that sort of thing. But it's, it's a, you know, I did a ton of research on the AI um, when I was writing the book and, you know, I I'm scared about it, but I also know that I went in looking for the dark side, <laughs> looking to read about the dark side. So, uh, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of really amazing things coming um from artificial intelligence, but you know, there's also some dangers. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me more about how you feel about AI. Cause you did all the research yeah. and I know like on a warfare front, it's pretty scary. Like if someone could just like shut off, say our banking or our internet or our traffic lights. Um, but like, can you tell me about like in your research, what was like the most disturbing thing that you discovered well the, the most disturbing thing is the possibility that someone can use one of these large language models or one of these big intelligence agent intelligent agents uh like chat gpt4 and make it operational um give it a mission and then attach it to some offshore bank accounts and have it go out and socially engineer humans to do its bidding and you know if, if that was done for you know dangerous re you know ways uh it it could be really really bad I mean, lethal autonomous weapons which is a you know a weapon that can make its own decision uh on who to kill um are are out there and they're they're growing and they're growing exponentially and that's th that's the thing about ai people that like pick apart you know what chat gpt can't do or what some you know like chess ai uh can't do you know i always want to like grab them by the shoulders and go this stuff is in its infancy right now. And five years ago, nobody thought we'd be here in five years. And, um, you know, the, the the quantum computing is like increasing exponentially every two years or something. It's like doubling the amount of computing power there is in the world. So it's only going in one direction. So I think we, you know, it's it's going to create new medicines and do a lot of really, really beneficial stuff. But I do think we need to be very mindful of the fact that if China, for example, ties their 
you know, weapon systems to an artificial intelligent agent that's able to, you know, act so much faster than what we're doing, because we always have a human on the loop, um, you know, it's going to be really dangerous and it'll probably be too late for us to uh, to change our policies and philosophies. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm friends. I'm living in L.A., so I have a lot of friends who are like artists and writers and stuff, mm -hmm. and they're pretty nervous about like, you know, losing their jobs and stuff. Yeah. But for example, like I've written all these survival scenarios for this podcast and I try to work with chat GPT to like expedite the process. Yeah. And I find it like not that smart. Yeah. Like a lot of the survival scenarios, if I asked it to help me with a scenario, it's just like, do you get shot or do you avoid being shot? Like yeah. it's very like not as creative as people make it out to be right it's pulling it's pulling information off the internet good information and bad information and it's assimilating it um with different with varying degrees of you know skill but again uh you know you look at all the leaders in the in the world of ai and these are the gatekeepers and they're scared of what's behind the gate they're coming out and saying like um, you know, and they're doing it cynically. I think they're, you know, they're saying we need regulation, but I, they want their own regulation, the regulation they come up with. But, um, you know, it, there's definitely, you know, they say if a scenario can't be anticipated, then it can't be tested. And we don't really know, you know, these, these big AI entities are able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They use, you know, deep learning to kind of uh run simulations and and create their own you know knowledge and they're able to do that you know faster than us not too long ago uh a simulation an ai went up against a, a u.s fighter pilot in a simulator and got complete and the human got completely smoked completely smoked uh, 15 oh, wow. to zero never got a shot off wow. and the the ai model worked incredibly aggressively um, because it was able to make thousands of computations a second and the human just can't do that. It could take these front quarter shots, which are, you know, very, very difficult where you're, you know, actually putting the missile up the nose of, of the plane instead of, you know, trying to maneuver to get behind it. And um, that's, you know, that's just one example. And I, and I think there are, you know, the, the Chinese are, are working on, um, you know, taking the human out of the loop in some of their, uh, in some of their artificial intelligence uh, weapons, their lethal autonomous weapons. And I think it's, it's scary. So even though it's not, it doesn't seem that sophisticated now, chat GPT four is actually a lot more uh, sophisticated than the chat GPT, you know, you, you normally get online, uh, which is, I guess is three or 3.5. Um, but I, I do think it's going in, in a direction. Yeah, I suppose you're right. It is going to be like such an exponential speed right. that it's hard to, for our human mind to predict like just how yeah. fast and crazy it's going to be. I also right. wonder if um, war is going to actually morph to like just drone versus drone or is it going to like actually evolve or devolve to just like simulation versus simulation and like okay we've run the simulation and the robots have decided who won so now just divvy up the land based on that or something like that 
Yeah, I I don't think so because I think what would happen is if you uh, if you lost in that simulation, then you would send your guys with <laughs> with guns over there to kill the people that you lost to. Um, I just think, you know, we're we're at a stage right now where it's in its infancy, and once it hits its adolescence, it's going to be you know, as we said, exponentially more. And, and I really think, you know, if you look at the Gatling gun that was invented in the 1800s, that was invented to reduce deaths because the idea was you can have four guys um, operating a, a weapon that, you know, instead of 100 guys. So obviously fewer people are going to die when they're on the battlefield. Well, obviously that's not what happened. So the, the idea was that it was going to actually, you know, sort of make war the point of war moot and um and it and it did just the opposite um you could say that nuclear nuclear weapons have kept the peace and i think there's a good argument to be made for the whole mutually assured destruction and all that but um with ai it's you know i i think if if someone has what they call first mover advantage the ability to make the first move on the battlefield and they they can do that with artificial intelligence and i think i think the gloves are going to come off and then it's going to be kind of a uh, a fight to fight to the to the bottom fight to the death yeah definitely a wild world that we're living mm -hmm. in but yeah. uh yeah when i saw the sort of um like the log line for your new book i was like oh my god i gotta check that out man that's yeah you're really like ahead of the game or like right on time with your, uh, with your topics of your, of your books. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Th this time last year when I was trying to figure out what to write about, or maybe a year and a half ago, I was, I was looking at Elon Musk and and Sam Altman and these people that are these billionaires that have this, uh, the power of a state and these commercial enterprises because AI is not being developed by the Chinese military or the U S military, the department of defense is, trying very hard to get, um, you know, private companies to work with it on artificial intelligence. So when I was doing my research and I was seeing all these uh, commercial, real, you know, commercial labs that were very, very sophisticated, I just got this idea that like, well, what if, what if uh, a billionaire, you know, and someone in control of one of these AI labs, what if he was trying to create something that would either sell to the highest bidder or use for himself? And it just opened, you know, as a thriller writer, uh, that kind of stuff is is interesting to you. Yeah. Um, you know, I also, in getting ready for this interview, I rewatched the Gray Man movie mm -hmm. on Netflix, which I know that your books are a little more, um, they're like a little more gritty than the movie. Yeah. But but even with the movie, I was like, man, I, I had seen it before, but I rewatched it because I knew that you were going to be on the show. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm feeling like anxiety watching this thing, man. He's like chasing, then getting away, then chasing, then get away. Then he's like handcuffed to a bench and there's like yeah. people shooting from every direction. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely very, uh, very thrilling work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, it, the the books are grittier than the film, but the film definitely captured kind of the action. And there's some scenes in the film that are right out of the book. Um and uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that's completely you know generated by the screenwriters, which is you know the way that that works all the time. But um, yeah, I, I I was happy with it. Um, some of my fans are like, well, they diverged, you know, they they changed this and they changed that, so we don't like it. 
but I never went into it thinking that it was going to be like a, you know, a, a mirror image of, of what I wrote down. Yeah. Good for you for coming into it already accepting that. Yeah. It could have been a big struggle if you didn't already have that acceptance. Um, but I thought it was really well cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the characters. I thought it was done really well. I like the Russo brothers. Yeah. Um, is it true that they're thinking about doing a spinoff like from one of the characters and doing like a series about one of the one of the characters in the universe? That is what they're saying. And I'm not being cagey. I'm not. This is God's honest truth. I have no idea which character. I have no idea. I know what screenwriters are supposed to work on it, but it's it's all pretty hush hush. They're also they've also written a script for a second uh, Gray Man film with with Gosling, uh-huh. and um, I hope they announce that pretty soon. I, if, when the when they announced the first one, I I saw it on the internet just like anybody else did. Uh, my agent called me and said, "Hey, have you seen this article?" and and that's when they announced that Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans were going to be involved and Netflix was doing it. I'd heard rumors, but it had been in Hollywood since two thousand nine, and this was two thousand twenty. And I'd heard rumors about every actor was interested or wanted a change in the script or whatever. At one point, Charlize Theron was going to play it and they rewrote the entire script to make it a, a, a female lead. And, uh, you know, and <laughs> anybody you can imagine has been involved with it. And so like when they were saying, yeah, Ryan Gosling is, you know, is, is talking to the screenwriters about a couple changes, but but he's really interested. And I was just like, yeah, OK, um, <laughs> because I'd heard I'd heard all that stuff so many times. So. When they when they announce the second film, I'll probably find out at the same time everybody else. Is the you said they already have a script for it? Is that based off of another one of your books? It is, and I don't know that I can say which one it is. And I and honestly, I don't know how closely they followed. I haven't I haven't seen the second uh, I haven't seen the script at all. So I'm I'm not really sure the status of it. Steve McFeely, who's one of uh, the writers who works with the Russo brothers, he wrote some of the. the um, or co-wrote some of the uh, Marvel films. He's the one that's taking a crack at it. Cool. I hope it comes out, man. I think it's a really cool universe. I thought yeah. Ryan Gosling was great in it. I did too. I thought he was fantastic. He was the, honestly, I don't, I don't want to say he's the best part because it makes it sound like I don't like other parts, but like as far as like how I picture the character and the way he acts and the way he's just annoyed by everything, um, it was it was so spot on. It was It was just amazing. Yeah, I, I thought I thought he was really well cast in that. Is the is the Greek tattoo from the book, or was that part of the just part of the screenplay? That was theirs. I really liked that. Um, yeah, it, it's like when you look at the screenplay, there's not really one line out of the book in it, but they captured a lot of the stuff the same way. And some stuff they changed. the The character Denny Carmichael, he doesn't come along until a few books in, and the character Suzanne Brewer doesn't come along till five books in so but when they were writing this they were writing this to be a franchise so they wanted to show who the uh who the the arch villains were because the the first gray man book the novel this takes place it's almost like die hard like a spy version of die hard it's a it's a very uh quick in and out i think most of the action takes place in a two-day three-day period and um and then but in the film as they're trying to develop it as a as a franchise they're trying to show these other elements that come in later in the series. And I was glad they did that. Yeah. It seems like they did their homework. Was Denny this, the CIA guy, the kind of like bad guy. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Now in the movie, unless I missed something, they kind of got away with it. Yeah. In the movie, they completely got away with it. And, um, 
which is, I guess, how you set up a franchise. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. But I was, yeah. was kind of rooting for them to get busted. But I guess right. I guess that has to happen later on. I, I think it has to happen later on. I wrote a book called Backblast, which was the fifth Gray Man book. And that's the one where that whole plot line gets resolved. Um, and and again, some a lot of it's very different. Um, you know, my court gentry doesn't have the same history like with his father and all that kind of stuff that was that was something they did um and my carmichael was a lot older uh it wouldn't have occurred to me to make a 32 year old uh you know whatever <laughs> what is it a deputy director of operations or whatever he is you know it wouldn't it wouldn't occur to me to to try that but um but it's good and the, and the chris evans characters is there's a character named lloyd who's one of the villains but um he's kind of an egghead lawyer who's sort of masterminding the the villainy and he wasn't an action guy, but you know how it is. It's like the Russo brothers got Chris Evans in the movie. And so, of course, they're going to beef that role up. And I thought that was very well done. I agree. I thought I thought the Chris Evans, the Lloyd part, I thought was really good. I was actually just going to say for the spinoff, I think it could be cool if they did Lloyd. But like, yeah. how did Lloyd become Lloyd? Was right. he ever good? You know, did something turn him? What What was the bribe or the blackmail that made Lloyd go bad? Or was he just, you know, always this way? Or... Right. I kind of have a suspicion that it might be if I mean... It all depends on if Chris Evans wants to do it, I guess. But um, <laughs> he would know better than I would if that's if that's what they're working on. I really don't know. There's a couple of other major characters in the series, a guy named Zach Hightower and uh, Zoya Zakharova, the, the love interest, <clears throat> excuse me, but also the um, a former SVR, Russian foreign intelligence officer. And, you know, either of them would be great characters to spin off as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of really good characters um tell me can you tell me a little bit about like your research i i heard also that you do a lot of traveling and like going to different locations to kind of prepare for your writing yeah i do i go as many places as i can in the time that i have i just got back from west africa uh, maybe a month and a half ago well, right before christmas um i was in ghana uh, researching another book. And I, th I think uh, last time I added it up, I'd been to 35 countries or something like that, doing research for either a Clancy novel or, oops, or one of my gray man novels. And, um, and I love it. Like that, it really helps me with the atmospherics of the location, obviously like the physical stuff, you know, where this street is or what this building looks like that comes into play some, but more than anything else, it's like learning about the people and looking and seeing, you know, the police presence in this location and all these sorts of things. I think it adds a little bit of um, reality to the books. In Chaos Agent, uh, I was in Mexico and in Guatemala, which are two of the locations. Uh, one of the main locations in Chaos Agent is Cuba. And I just wasn't able to go there just because of my schedule. Um, but usually I go to all the major locations when I can. Is it true that part of the backstory for Court Gentry you came up with, like overhearing a conversation in a bar in Guatemala? Guatemala? Yeah, it was actually even less. Uh, it was less refined than that. I was in El Salvador in a bar. Um, I was down in Guatemala studying Spanish, and uh, and I went to El Salvador just by myself for a weekend. And um, I was in a bar by myself having a beer. And an American guy came in, spoke Spanish to the bartender, but I could tell he was American. And I just sat there drinking my beer, making up a backstory for this guy, not with the intention of writing a book, just because it's kind of how my my mind works a little bit. And I was like, yeah, this guy is CIA, 
hitman, but he's off grid because the CIA's like, you know, put a shoot on site order on him and they're they're trying to kill him. So that's why he's living in the third world. He doesn't have a cell phone. And, um, you know, none of that, I'm sure, is true. I mean, I don't know what the guy was, but most of the Americans I saw down there were either like surfers or stoners or language students or something like that. So this guy looked very different. He had he had kind of an edge to him. And uh, whoever he was or whatever he was, I made up this whole backstory. And I think it was really the next morning where I was like, oh, I should I should play with that as as far as a character. So I wrote a book called Goon Squad about this character, gave that to the to the guy I wanted to be my agent. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to publish this, uh, but I love this character. And you have this little side plot about all this gauntlet of enemies that he has to move through to achieve his goal. He's like, if you wrote the whole book and that was the the main plot, I think it would be good. And, and then I I listened to what he said. Six months later, I had the gray man. That's amazing. Goon Squad, by the way, is a really fantastic title. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, I wish it got published. <laughs> were you, before you got published, were you already doing a lot of traveling for the purpose of researching books or did that come after you started to get published? It, it came before. So the First book that I finished in 2005, I went to Europe and kind of researched the locations. Um, didn't have much money at all. It was just me in a backpack and, you know, taking vacation days from work. And uh, and that book didn't get published. And then uh, the the third the third book, which was Goon Squad, um, I went back over to Europe for a little bit of research. And then for Gray Man, I, I took uh, I had five days of vacation, so I took both weekends and the five days in the middle, and I went to Europe just with a backpack, and I started in Budapest, Hungary, and I went to all the locations that take place in the uh, the book is a little different from the film um, as far as the locations, but it ends up in Normandy, up in France. So I went from Budapest to to Normandy, France, in in a week, doing research the whole way, and you know. It, it's one of those things you're like, are you just, is, is this ever going to amount to anything? You know, <laughs> you're doing all this work and spending all this money and all this time, and you don't know if it's even going to get published, but uh, you know, it, it, it came out as a little paperback and I was really proud of that. That was all, that was all I needed. I had no idea it was going to be this big series. Yeah. It sounds to me like, you know, you're doing all this traveling for research before you even published. It sounds like you knew that you, that it was going to happen. Like you're going to be a writer. Like, were you just totally determined or did you just enjoy the process so much that you were into it? Yeah, I think it's the latter. And and people all the time were like, oh my gosh, you, you just never gave up and you're such a badass. And I'm going, no, I did it because I liked it. If it felt like work, I would have I would have not done it, as as is evidenced by other things I've you know haven't done in life. But uh, I think I just really enjoyed it, and I like my mind just wants to reside in these areas, making up stories and refining them and getting every little bit the way you want it. And um, you know, I did that research, and I don't think anybody in my world thought that anything was ever going to come out of it. Um, and I wasn't sure that it was either. I just, I just really, but it seemed like every time I failed, I got a little bit closer. So I felt like I was getting closer and I was actually talking to an, an agent who had not agreed to be my agent, but at least he was talking to me, you know? So I was like, he told me what he wanted. <clears throat> and I was like, I'll write, I'll write that. <laughs> Sorry. That is your story is very inspiring. I, uh, and I have all these books sitting right here. There's like literally like 12 books. I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing, man. This guy is writing like a couple books a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you're just like really into it, which is, uh, that's amazing. Congratulations. You get to do what you love. 
Thank you. Yeah, I do get to do what I love. I, I think that I I can't keep up the two book a year thing. I've been saying for years that I'm I'm going to stop, but um, I think I'm going to get to the point where I'm really sort of going to have to slow down a little bit because I want to keep the quality good. I don't ever want to like go back over ground I've gone over. So it's really hard to, um, you know, crank out a book every six months and have them all unique and different and, you know, something you're really proud of. So I'd rather write a little bit slower and and be as proud of the books than, uh, you know, crank out too much stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. You know what I was thinking too, as you were saying that like you like to travel around to kind of get a feel for like the people and the police force. Mm -hmm. As I was watching the movie, I actually had that thought. I was like, oh my God, in, in Prague, will they just chain you to a bench? Like, is that a <laughs> thing? That doesn't seem like that would happen where I live. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and there was one other thing that happened really quick. You might or might not have picked up on it um, in the movie where I was like, yeah, I could not have gotten away with that. I would have gotten 100 emails a day ever since 2009 if I'd put it in the book where, um, where Ryan Gosling is chained to this bench and all these guys are attacking him and he grabs a dead cop and drags the guy towards him and reaches over and pulls a frag grenade off the guy's belt. And I'm like, the cops in Prague have frags. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I, I, I can't imagine the, uh, the, the reason a police officer, they would, they would, you know, issue frag grenades to the cops, but I mean, it worked great for the film and it's, you know, a visual medium. It all happens in two seconds and you move on. If I had to write that in a book, I'd have to sort of explain the hows and whys. And I think it, I, I would have lost a lot of credibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's hysterical. I, yeah. I was, I was blown away as, as I was watching it, I was like, wow, would they, maybe they would do that in Prague, but they just handcuffed him right to that bench. That seems yeah. like a big liability. Uh, yeah. The so that it, in the, in the film, they're, they're saying that they were waiting for like SWAT backup to come or something like that. Um, in the book, he is ha handcuffed to a bench at a train station because he's just pulled off a train and they they catch him with a with a firearm. And so they don't know who he is or anything like that, but they handcuff him to the bench while they where they're bringing a, a car because these cops just came off the the train. And um, and that's when all the uh, the vans start pulling up in, from different directions and attacking the train station. Yeah, Lloyd, the Lloyd character is is pretty cold hearted in that he's just like anyone collateral damage. No problem. Just yeah. shoot up the whole town. Yeah. Um, I think, talking about liability, I think that the CIA probably hired the wrong contractor for that job. Yeah, they were they were not happy with Lloyd. <laughs> um, great character, though. Really, good, yeah, really good yeah. character. Yeah. So where is your, uh, do you have a favorite place that you've traveled to for your research? You know, I've, I've been places that are so remote and to where I just, I go like, I can't believe I'm here. And honestly, Moscow was one. I mean, I'm literally outside of the FSB building, their, their intelligence building and, and walking along, eating in a basement restaurant right next door to it. And just imagining that, you know, some of the goons that were in there having dinner were were FSB employees. You know, it's just it, it very surreal to be there. Um, I like Germany a lot. I like I like Sweden. Uh, I live in the south, and if we get a dusting of snow, people start you know eating one another. It's you know it's like we we're we're not around the, the, those conditions. And so I went uh, my fourth book, Dead Eye. I went to Estonia and uh, and Stockholm during a blizzard or during multiple blizzards and uh 
And it was just so, and it was at Christmas time, and it was just so unique and so different from my normal life that I look back on that as kind of my favorite research trip. And it's not that the cities were better than other cities. It was just sort of my experience there was just so incredibly unique to, you know, what I've <laughs> been around my entire life that it it really stuck with me. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious, do you have, I know that your new book is just coming out in like uh, in a week. Yeah. Do you already have plans for what's coming next? Do you have like a topic or would you ever do like a different genre or you kind of, where are you at in that regard? So I, I, I do have the 14th gray man book. Uh, I have ideas about it and um, I'll go do some location research this year and um, I'll write it obviously. And I've got a lot of research to do, but it's not that well thought out yet because I've been writing another book for another series I have, and it comes out in June. And um, so I've been really focused on that one all through the holidays. And uh, now I'm about to start promoting Chaos Agent, or I am prom promoting Chaos Agent. And as soon as I'm done with that, I'll go to work on the 14th Gray Man book and uh, going over to Paris uh, in March to do some research and um, and hopefully to have a good time. And, uh, and I don't think I'll ever really write in another genre. I do get asked that. Um, I have an idea for a romantic suspense novel, which is not an espionage thriller, but it's still a thriller. So it's not really a different genre. Um, and it does kind of involve espionage as well. It's just kind of a different feel from the, from the action um, thing. But, but I, I like this genre. I don't think I'll very, I'll go very wide from it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and you've also, you've done a lot of research, like, at, have you been to the Pentagon and like all sorts of military places too? How do you, how do you get access to those kind of places? You just ask, like, I don't, you know, it depends. Um, I've been to the Pentagon several times, some of the three letter intelligence agencies. I got to fly in an F-18 um, down in New Orleans, uh, the Navy Reserve, and um I've you know been on a destroyer in in San Diego, and uh, when I was in Africa, I was at the U.S. Embassy, shadowing some diplomatic security agents um, in their job, and and really it's different in different times. Like as far as getting to, to fly in in the back of an F-18, I had a buddy who was a uh, Navy Navy Reserve pilot, and there was a process to where you can get a backseat flight, and it, it's. You had to jump through some hoops. I had to go up to Maryland and take a water survival course and obviously pass a, a medical. And um, then, uh, you know, I never really thought I would end up in the in, in the back of the plane taking off. I just thought like, well, at some point, this, this whole plan is going to get nixed, but it's not going to be my fault. So I'm going to do everything they say I have to do. And then there's this point where they're like, you ready to go flying? And we're up in the air. And I was like, holy crap, it's actually happening. Um, so there's public affairs officers at different, you know, with the State Department. I think they call them something different at the State Department. And I just reached out to them and I was like, hey, um, now I'm interested in working with diplomatic security on a book uh, about a coup in Africa. And and they were very open and receptive. And the the DS agents at the embassy in, in Accra, Ghana, they had so much important stuff to do that didn't involve like shepherding this thriller writer around days i mean they kept having to like kind of run off and do uh you know top secret things or you know talk to each other when i'm not in the room type of stuff but they were also incredibly giving of their time with me and i got to hang out with them and the marines and and the ambassador and everybody so it's it's amazing what opportunity you can get if you ask for it and i guess ask the right way nice that's very cool have you uh you ever been to the white house 
I've never been to the White House. I was just telling my wife yesterday I'd love to I'd love to go to the White House. Yeah, yeah. I used to uh since I grew up outside DC and I uh I kind of got my start working as a production assistant in the film business. I got to mm-hmm. I used to go around to all the monuments. You know, when people come in to shoot like a commercial or usually yeah. people come in to shoot like part of their movie like around the monuments. Right. I used to get to go around to all the monuments and all the different places. So oh, very cool. Yeah, I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. So, all right. So the chaos agent is the next book and yeah, I'm I'm really excited to dive into it because I think the AI thing is just so pertinent right now. Um, and yeah, is there, is there anything else like that when you were researching for the chaos agent that just like totally shocked and surprised you like to learn as you were getting ready to write the book? Well, the the status or you know, where we are with autonomous weapons right now, uh, or just with robotics, is is pretty shocking. I mean, there's nothing in the book that's science fiction. It's all either existing technology or emerging technology. I mean, there are in the book there's uh, robot dogs with 6.5 Creedmoor rifles on their backs. That's actually a real thing that's been done at least in a prototype. There are um, drones that carry the robot dogs and, you know, put them on a rooftop and drop them off. You can watch, you can go and look, watch videos of that. There's a robot that Boston Dynamics has called Atlas that you pretty much can't knock down. It would, it would kick your ass in a fight, you know, and, and it looks like a a human as far as, you know, it's bipedal and um, it can do backflips and uh, somersaults and, and all this stuff. And it's real and it's it's out there today. Um, you put a gun in on its hip and it's a whole different animal and, and you attach it to artificial intelligence. I mean, it, it obviously has onboard artificial intelligence, but in the book, um, I guess I'm thinking a little bit bigger and wider than that. So these uh, artificial intelligent weapons, lethal autonomous weapons can be kind of hived together. So they're all using each other's brains and sensors and and image classifiers and all these things to uh, get a big understanding of the battle space. Very weird. And they called it Atlas, which I believe is the God of strength and endurance. Yeah. 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 So, uh, man, it's, it's a wild world that we live in. For sure. For sure. Um, so I'm curious as this is, can you survive this podcast? I have developed a little, espionage and thriller based survival scenario for you and i'm curious are you up for a hypothetical survival scenario i'm honestly very intimidated but i'm ready for it let's let's give it a shot amazing and (laughs) yeah i think you'll do fine given all the research you've done but if you ever i like to tell the guests if i ever give you an a or b but you're like you know i would do C or I would actually do this instead, you know, feel free to explain your thinking because that's kind of the fun of it. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, this is the stuff that I do for a living is like, think up these scenarios, but I have six months to, uh, to iron out all the kinks. So my, my first answer might not be right, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's do it. And this one is, I, I created this one just for you as the, uh, expert in the thriller genre so let's give it a shot okay for this hypothetical scenario you are a covert operative caught in a high stakes international espionage mission 
As you prepare for your mission, you receive intel that the target is a high-ranking government official in a foreign country. Do you A, gather intelligence and create a detailed plan of action, or B, trust your instincts and pr proceed with minimal planning for maximum flexibility? Mm, I, I am a planner. I, I, I get past anxiety by over-preparing for things. So I would, I would want as much information as I could about the target, um, the target location, um, you know, the, the, the known associates of the target, all those sorts of things would, would be really important to me. A is correct. You gather intel. Yeah. Next question. You infiltrate the target's compound, but things take a dangerous turn when you discover that they are not alone. Do you A, abort the mission and retreat to assess the situation, or B, proceed cautiously using your training to navigate the unexpected obstacles? Well, depending on who they were with, I, I would probably, you know, just carefully continue. I mean, if they were with a battalion of uh, of shock troops or something, that'd be one thing. But let's say they're, they're with another person, um, that could actually create some advantages um, to, you know, their attention or, or whatever. They, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out uh, going forward. So I'd probably, I'd probably try to carefully go forward. B is correct. You got it. Uh, you've obtained crucial information, but your cover is blown and you're being pursued by enemy agents. Do you A, blend into the crowd and evade capture using stealth and deception or B, engage in a high-speed chase risking capture to shake off your pursuers <laughs> well i write the gray man when the whole point of the gray man is he's able to sort of blend in and uh you know there's a line in the in the book where somebody says that you know they say you could pass him on the street and he wouldn't notice you and the person who knows him is like he could pass you in your kitchen and you wouldn't notice him um so i would i would want to try and blend in if i could a is correct you you blend in you become the gray man yeah uh, now with enemy operatives closing in, you find yourself trapped in a narrow alley with limited escape routes. Do you a use your surroundings to set up traps and ambushes, turning the tables on your pursuers or B make a desperate leap of faith, hoping to find safety on the other side? I mean, if, if, I mean, honestly, if, if there were options for, uh, a way to sort of trap your pursuers or, or, you know, turn the tables on them, I would definitely go that route as opposed to just the unknown of moving ahead. If it, let's say I saw, you know, some sort of thing that I could use to compromise them. Um, I would definitely, I would take that route. Um, I, you know, I, fleeing sounds like the good option, but the way you set it up was, you know, that sort of unknowingness of, uh, of where you're going or how you're, how you're, pushing through. I think, I think I would try and make my stand there. E even if I wasn't like physically there, I would, I would try and set up something to at least slow them down. Great. Great. You got it right. You're, you're so far, you're a hundred percent. We got a few more, a few more questions. So right. you managed to evade capture for now, but your situation grows increasingly dire as you uncover a conspiracy that reaches the highest levels of government. Do you A, gather evidence and expose the conspiracy, risking everything to bring the truth to light, or B, go off grid and disappear into the shadows, prior prioritizing your survival above all else? Oh, wow. So that's, that's a, uh, 
That's that's a tough one because you know you'd like to think you should bring it to to light and and do all that, but that exposes you a lot more. And it, you know if if your ultimate goal is to survive this, um, I think if you have the opportunity to go to ground, you go to ground. I mean, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's I would like to think that I would uh, that I would try and bring down this conspiracy. Maybe that's where I need to go. I that's a tough one. I mean, theoretically, um, you know, flight would be the way to go there for for your own self-preservation. But if it was, you know, if if there was something more important than my risking my life, you know, or, or worth if there was something worth risking my life, I would probably do that. So this is this one's a coin toss. I'm going to say I would I'm going to say I would go to ground and and try to try to avoid um getting exposed at least at the beginning okay okay so you're going with b yeah i'll go with b okay so i had a but you're probably correct there that b would keep you alive yeah and a is gonna put you in the risk yeah so. yeah i mean I, I i see a as well as i see b i mean there, it's there's so many other variables variables right that you you, you want to take into power if it was something really worth risking my life for i would definitely go a but um if it's just about you know me surviving this podcast and surviving this this thing i think the safer course of action is to uh run for the hills plus you could probably go b save yourself and by saving yourself you can you you're better able to expose them in the future yeah live to fight another day type of situation yeah, exactly okay so I had A, but we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, we got two more questions. Uh, as you dig deeper, you realize that someone close to you has been working against you all along. Do you A, confront them directly, seeking answers and closure, or B, stay vigilant and use their betrayal to your advantage, turning the tables on your enemies? Definitely use their betrayal to my advantage. I mean, the in, in the history of intelligence work, some of the best compromises um, have been from flipping people into double agents and triple agents and things like that. So I, I've just, you know, reading enough history, you see that like you, when you, when you identify a spy, the, the last thing you do, you, you only stop them from doing what they're doing when you have to, when there's some emergency reason to do it. Normally what you want to do is to uh, try and um, manipulate the information that, that they're getting and, um, you know, what they're going back to their masters with and, you know, or flipping them to your side. Either either way, you, it, that's a compromise for, for the enemy agency for us to know that one of their people is... Uh, is uh is spying on us yeah so so b um correct does that by the way yeah. a side note does that ever happen in any of your book series where someone gets caught and then they get flipped and then flipped again like double triple agent kind of yeah yeah I've, I've written that before in, in a tom clancy book comes to mind i'm sure there's not too many scenarios unfortunately that i haven't written <laughs> um but yeah no I, I i did the exact same thing in in one of the tom clancy books i wrote i think it was called threat vector and uh yeah it was that they they identify that someone is um has infiltrated them and they they try to use that to their advantage cool i'll, I'll have to check that that one out yeah. uh all right so 
Last question. With your enemies closing in from all sides, you must make a final stand to uncover the truth and bring justice to those responsible. Do you A, rally allies and mount a daring rescue mission to save yourself and expose the conspiracy, or B, sacrifice yourself to ensure the safety of innocent lives and protect the truth from being buried forever? Hmm, sacrifice myself to protect innocent lives so you're not bringing other people into it, I guess is what you're saying. Um Ooh, that's another one you could go either way. I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel like I would want to, you know, kind of rally some Confederates to try and help me and and stop the uh, and stop the conspiracy, even if it risks my life or their life, as opposed to, you know, just without any more information, just sacrificing your life to to expose it. So I'm going to say A for that one. It could go either way, but I would say A. Yeah, you got it. A is correct. We're going with the big movie ending. <laughs> you, you you rally the troops and you gotta you gotta do the big finale and really yeah. <laughs> uh really expose this thing. Yeah. So uh amazing. Congratulations. You got all the questions right and you have survived this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um yeah, man. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm honestly I'm just like massively inspired by like this huge box of books that I have here that I know that you wrote like two books a year and like just your story of how you were like a Clancy fan. And then you got to write with Clancy and like, it's really inspiring to me to also hear someone who's like, Oh, I do it because I love it. You know, I was traveling before I became, uh, published. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really inspired by you and I'm, I'm really grateful that you came on. Um, The Chaos Agent is the next book. It's out February 20th. Um, before we wrap up, where can people find you? And you know what else do you want them to know about you? Well, um, I'm, I've got a website. It's my name, Mark Graney, G-R-E-A-N-E-Y books.com. And that has all the information about me. I'm about to go on a book tour. And so it'll have all information about that on there. And, uh, you know, I'm also on social media. I'm pretty active. So Hopefully people will reach out, uh, read the book, see what they think. And, um, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Amazing. Thanks again. And uh, bye, everyone.